This episode of the Bamboo Pastors Podcast has been brought to you by the Growth Center for Church and Mission. The Growth Center has established the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader, a ministry ecosystem which brings together pastors, ministry leaders, and marketplace leaders who are finding creative ways to utilize their faith and their talents to bring the gospel to the cities and communities they live in. Check them out at thegrowthcenter.com. Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. Hi, welcome back to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. I am Jalen. I'm here with my friend and co-host, John. John, always good to see you. How are you doing? Hey, Jalen, it's good to see you too. I am doing pretty well. Um, this week in California, we started to get some rain and I feel like it's the first rain of 2022. Uh, it is now November. And so um, I, you know, on a few different levels, this was a pretty momentous thing for us. One, because it's like always drought conditions, everything is dry and dusty. And so any rain is like a welcome relief um, to Californians. Um, I think for me in particular, I really love the rain. I love having different seasons. And it's one of the things I actually miss the most about um, not living in the Midwest and living in California is that it kind of feels the same to me all year round. Even though local Californian people or people who grew up here, they would definitely say that there's multiple seasons. But for me, it just feels like hot summer, normal summer and slightly cooler summer. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I really love the rain. I enjoyed um, just sitting on my porch, listening to it. Uh, not on my porch, actually, just outside, like uh, just inside the glass window into my porch um, and, you know, opened all the windows in the office so I could watch the rain come down and it was great. Um, but the one downside of it raining here for like a few days is that I do think that California drivers are not really prepared for these kinds of this kind of driving conditions. Mm -hmm. And so it, it does get a little dicey on the roads uh, when it's raining. But yeah. otherwise, yeah. it's been a good week. Um, yeah, very thankful for, I didn't think I would ever be like this, right? Like in the Midwest, we take it for granted, but here it's like, oh, thank you, Jesus for the rain. So yeah. 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 What about you? How have you been? Yeah, good. You know, in a few months we'll have tons of snow and feel free to come back and enjoy <laughs> that. You can come and shovel my driveway, my sidewalk, mm, you know, mm -hmm. soak up what you've been missing, uh, you know, here in the Midwest. Um, but no, it's been a great week for us. One thing that I wanted to share with you, um, you know that every night, you know, Jenny and I spend about five or 10 minutes with each of our five kids before we put them to bed. It's just an opportunity for us to connect with them, just to kind of go through the day with each of them, make sure that they feel like they're heard, they're seen. Uh, it's easy to kind of get lost with so many kids running around. Uh, but our youngest... Uh, just a few days ago uh, was was spending that, that time we call it the lay in bed time with uh, with Jenny and um, Jenny was just you know talking with him about the gospel and mm. he he said that he wanted to follow Jesus oh and so awesome. we were super excited about that and uh, ran over there gave him a big hug and um, talked with him a little bit about it so we're very excited about that and you know just very just very grateful that uh, all of our kids have been very open to mm. 
the gospel, you know, so far to this point and, and talking about it and um, understanding it. And so that's something that we want to keep doing is, is hearing from them, talking with them about the truths of, of scripture and making sure that they have a, a strong foundation. So we're very, yeah, yeah absolutely. Praise the Lord, Jalen. Yeah. That's a, yeah. such good news. Looking forward to seeing you guys hopefully over Thanksgiving and being extra thankful for things like this. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. yeah. I'm excited to have you here and, and hang out with uh, with you. So, but uh, we're excited today to be welcoming our guest, Dr. Peter Cha. Uh, Dr. Cha is the professor of church culture and society at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, before he was at Trinity, Dr. Cha was uh, involved in a lot of different ministries in the Korean American church in campus ministry with InterVarsity. Uh, he planted a church. He pastored a multi-ethnic Asian American congregation as well. Uh, but I'm very grateful that earlier this summer, Dr. Cha was uh, part of my ordination council, uh, just as you were, John. And so we got to hang out during that time, all three of us with a few others uh, during that ordination time. And so I was very grateful for that. But uh, Dr. Cha, so good to have you on. Thank you for joining us today. It's wonderful to join this conversation with both of you and great to see both of you again. And uh, what a wonderful way because of technology that we are able to bridge the gap of distance and have a have a very organic conversation like this. So I'm yeah. thankful that we can do this, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, after uh, connecting with you through Jalen's ordination, I've really been looking forward to this conversation tonight. Yeah. I, I was wondering if before we kind of get into some of the things that we're going to talk about, um, if you could just maybe briefly share your ministry journey and calling um, with us. I know Jalen he already kind of gave the the highlights, some of the places you've been. Um, but we love to hear from our guests, especially first time guests, like how did God call you into ministry? What have been some of the stops along the, the way? Yeah. Uh, so I was born and raised in a pastor's family. Uh, my dad was a church planter. So he planted three churches in South Korea. And then when we immigrated to the United States, he planned three more, uh, one in Los Angeles and then Philadelphia, and the last one in Virginia, right outside Washington, D.C. So I grew up in a home um, watching my dad doing his ministry, uh, particularly church plant ministry, and saw both uh, tremendous fruitfulness of and the meaningfulness of that uh, church plant ministry, but also some of the cost involved. And so I uh, grew up in that setting, but it was a third year in my college. I sensed God's call to ministry. And at that time, this was uh, 1980 or so, uh, the only ministry that, that someone like me could envision was somehow serving in a Korean immigrant church, particularly with a growing number of second generation younger brothers and sisters. How do I, as a 1.5 generation Korean American, bridge the gap between the first and second gen and uh, so, as uh, Jalen mentioned, I did university ministry during the weekdays, and then on weekends, I served in a Korean immigrant church. Uh, and, uh, and then even at the Divinity School, I, uh, along with other courses, I've been regularly teaching classes on Asian American ministries, and Trinity, like many other evangelical seminaries, has a, a good number of uh, uh, 1.5 second-gen uh, Asian American students, so uh, classroom is a one space, but then often it's in the office hour time that I get to have a lot of rich conversations with the younger brothers and sisters and learning what they're learning and, and then learning about the challenges that they face. 
So in some ways, even though now I'm in a more academic setting, I feel like I have rich opportunities to to um, interact with and to mentor younger brothers and sisters who are training to be in Asian American ministry. Yeah, that's one of the things I really appreciate about you, Dr. Cha, is your desire to help some of us younger second gen and beyond uh, ministry leaders to think through what steps we ought to take in developing healthy immigrant churches. Uh, One of the things I didn't mention in the intro was that you are the director of uh, our Thriving Immigrant Churches, uh, Thriving Immigrant Congregations Initiative, uh, which we've talked a little bit about before on the podcast, but I thought it'd be great to hear sort of your vision for TICI uh, and sort of your hope for its impact on immigrant churches and uh, even, you know, particularly for our podcast, Chinese heritage churches, some of the impact that you want to see TICI have for us. Yes. Um, so it was during my pastoral years, I decided to go into a PhD program, actually in sociology, so not in theology. So I did MDiv and THM in theology. And for a doctoral degree, I wanted to go into sociology because I was asked, beginning to ask a lot of questions about the future of immigrant churches, particularly those of us who are non-white. Because up until then, I was told (laughs) that immigrant church is basically one generational phenomenon. I mean, that has been the case for the European immigrant churches of 19th century and so forth. You know, Italian, Polish churches. Yes, they were thriving churches when the immigrants were keep coming. But then for second and third gen, they just melted into, right? predominantly white churches, and many predicted that that would be the case with uh, Asian and Latino immigrant churches. Uh, And then we began to hear about silent exodus, that, oh my goodness, it is indeed happening. All the second generation might be just melting into the predominantly white churches like Willow Creek and so forth. But as I did more ministry, I began to ask the question, you know, is that really going to be the case for visible minorities? Or is because United States is becoming more and more multicultural nation instead of one melting pot, will there might be a need for immigrant churches to continue its service beyond first generation experience into second and third and so forth? Um, and uh, I began to sense that that was going to be the case for not all immigrant churches, but but good number of immigrant churches. It's going to be multi-generational church uh, experience. So I was uh, beginning to see that happening. But then at the same time, this perennial challenge of the conflict between the first and then second gen and then with the third gen is uh, one of those stumbling blocks that prevented many immigrant churches to become more healthier, multi-generational household of God's people. And uh, through their health, they can be more effective in a missional engagement with their own Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the earth. And so uh, I was wrestling with uh, that particular challenge. And it was about three years ago, the Lilly Endowment invited uh, different seminaries to submit a proposal that would uh, use the financial resources they would provide to help 
uh, particular congregations to overcome a challenge that they all face so that they could become more thriving. And when I heard about that grant opportunity, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is God's gracious opportunity. For me, and, and I'm now 62, so I'm looking at retirement in three years, at least from Trinity's teaching. Could this be God's gracious gift for me to bring all the uh, studies I have done, experiences that I went through, the mentoring things that I've done, could this be kind of culminating uh, uh, time and space for me to really bring many of the things I learned into this one venue and then work with others in serving immigrant churches that are particularly wanting to address this challenge of a first and generation divide and conflict. Uh, and then overcoming that, how these different generations coming from different language groups and cultures might be able to collaborate well together in being uh, salt and light to not only their ethnic community, but other surrounding communities around the church so that the immigrant church really can be witness of the gospel in their own Jerusalem, yes, but also in their Judea, in their Samaria, and ends the earth. Because in the past, I felt like particularly immigrant churches, we sent our missionaries going straight from our Jerusalem to the ends of the earth and kind of bypassed the Judea and Samaria, partly because of our language barrier, but partly because I think we wanted to get to the ends of the earth really quickly. And, and a bypass on the important learning process that could have happened if they went through their own Judea and Samaria first before they got to the ends of the earth. So those were some of the things that were in the kind of background of this TICI in terms of my personal uh, hope and anticipation and expectation. Yeah, no, I, I love it. You know, I think when Jalen first started sharing with me the opportunity for his church to participate in this, there were so many different things that I think that I was drawn to. One, um, the chance to kind of have churches connect with, you know, institutes of higher learning and talk about ministry and about following Jesus like that is so valuable. But I think even more valuable than that is the opportunity for churches from different ethnic backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds to really talk through what are we seeing God do in our spaces and in our cultures. And I feel like, you know, when I'm, and even though our podcast is for Chinese heritage churches, we have talked at length about how important it is for the Chinese heritage church to learn from other, uh, other churches that have different backgrounds from us. And that we also have something to offer to those churches because of how we've seen God work in our spaces and our, uh, in our ministries. And so I think that's, that's so fantastic. Um, what you guys are doing there. I think, for Jalen, he's gone through the program with you. Um, so he has firsthand experience of what this is like. But I, for me, you know, I kind of hear it secondhand through him. And I think for many of our listeners, um, we may not be as familiar with, um, you know, the program and just what are some of the things that you guys do. So can you just give us a snapshot of what are some of the different projects or activities, conversations that you guys have had as part of the TICI program? Yeah, thank you. Um... So, Jalen, if I'm skipping some important parts, feel free to jump in because I'm going to try to give a sort of snapshot uh, summary of it. So 
two key concepts that guide our TICI learning experience is this concept of learning community and learning journey. So we have a learning community of 12 churches that come from different ethnic backgrounds. And for this first cohort, it is primarily from Chinese heritage background, the Korean, and then Nigerian. And they're coming from different geographic locations, but they come together to form one learning community. But at the same time, this is a learning journey. And this is important because I've been to many wonderful conferences for pastors. And you go there and you get a lot of informational input. But then you come back to your place of ministry because you went alone and you got this rich information. And often I felt very discouraged because I did not quite know how to apply this information I gained in collaborating with others in our church. So what we do is that each church must select five members from their church, and both two of them have to be pastors, the first and second gen pastor, and then three are lay members and leaders. And they would come together for two years, so 12 churches, the five persons in each team uh, will come together. And what we do is, uh, we meet twice each year, spring and fall, spring and fall, in in-person gathering, uh, three days at a time. And that's a time of kind of teaching, learning, and fellowship with the 12 other churches. But we also wanted to make sure that we don't lose a momentum, that we will continue to grow between those meeting times. So those teams of five people, they are to meet each month. And we leadership team send them uh, the relevant and appropriate meeting assignments, if you will, so that they could engage in their learning each month. And uh, there is a certain progression about this learning. And if I could break it up, the first segment is about building relational trust and building relational depth between first and second gen, certainly within the TICI team, but beyond that. And then second segment is about, as a team, how to uh, analyze and understand the culture of the congregation, and then think about ways to reshaping it so that the culture of the congregation would be more inviting to both first and second gen. The third segment is about how then these two generations or cultural groups would learn to collaborate together to reach out to the, our mission field outside. So, so it is a segmented in a different kind of chapters, if you will, for two years. And uh, we hope that unlike just going to a one-time conference, going through this two-year learning journey will offer each congregation uh, necessary tools and then relational capital that will enable these churches to move on beyond their two-year journey. At least that is our hope and prayer. Yeah, I think what I've, you know, what I would also add, you, you mentioned that every month we are assigned, our five-person team from each church, we're assigned uh, different assignments that kind of follow along with each of those chapters, each of those four chapters that you're saying. And for our church in particular, it's been an incredible blessing. Uh, our team of five has grown very close. And I think, uh, I think I told you, Dr. Cha, when we were in, 
Virginia for our in-person gathering, our five-person team uh, who, you know, we, we all serve together, but we're not necessarily super close. We're not like friends. We don't hang out necessarily outside of church, but the five of us decided to go to um, the, the Lincoln Memorial together and hang out and spend just a few hours there before we flew back to Chicago. And that was a result of saying, hey, we want to spend more time in relationship with each other. And I think that was kind of the seedlings for deepening our relationships uh, and modeling that sort of love and fellowship with one another for the rest of our church, mm. hoping to see that kind of germinate over time. Um, so it's been, I mean, you know, we're, we're like one year into this cohort right now, but it's been such a huge blessing. So I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. In fact, that's what I hear different teams saying, you know, they would ask the question now, how is it and why is it that we have to fly out to Virginia to talk to each other? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that points partly to the busyness we have in our own church ministry activities. So we're in a one physical space, but we rarely get to have just a real conversation with each other, right? In a, yeah. in a very relational way. Uh, but hopefully through these experiences that uh, not only this team of five people, but the broader leadership will be uh, valuing creating that kind of conversational and relationship building time that could happen in a church life. Yeah. You know, one of the things you just said um, for our different chapters that we're doing, this most recent um, in-person gathering that we had was just about a month ago. And, as you were saying, we're kind of shifting into thinking about our um, congregational culture and some of the terms that we had learned and we talked about um, are identifying values and artifacts that contribute to those values that ultimately create congregational culture. So I was wondering if you could kind of explain some of those things, because I found it incredibly helpful. And even as I was sharing with some of our other staff when I came home, um, you know, they were very they're very excited about thinking through what are our values, what are the artifacts that contribute to that value, and then how does that create a congregational culture? So, was, so those kind of three terms, could you kind of break those down for us? And I know this is like an, like a, a whole class that you teach, but right. in a few minutes, could you kind of summarize that? Sure. Yeah. You know, when I was doing PhD program in sociology at Northwestern University, that was also when I was doing church planning pastor ministry. And I was taking some of these classes in the sociology of organization and stuff, and they were talking about culture. And at that time, all the church planning literature was about vision. Like, you got to be a visionary person. You know, you got to give a really clear vision to your new church plan team so that they will get excited about and, and so forth. But then... Like I'm learning in these classes about the importance of culture, and I began to realize vision is important, but if you don't have a healthy culture, you really cannot, as a church, uh, practice that vision or move toward that mission that you pointed out. Hmm. And that culture is a very important formative thing. Uh, so a lot of the things I, I shared at the congregational, I mean, at our recent gathering was something that came out of my PhD years, but then I began to apply it when I was church planning pastor 
And now as a, uh, you know, you may know, so there are some of the things I'm doing on Trinity campus called Mosaic Ministries. That one is also very much uh, embedded in this understanding of a culture and why that's so important. By the way, I think I shared this with you at that gathering that Jesus was a culture builder. He not only preached about the what kingdom is going to be about, but he began to model certain values to his disciples to follow. He began to practice certain things that became a hands and feet of these value that Jesus was promoting for his new kingdom. And that when the church was birthed in a book of Acts, they were doing some wildly different kind of practices and artifacts and uh, cultures that they were building. And that should be the church. Church should have, a, in some ways, very countercultural space uh, that the non-Christians could look at and say, wow, what is that that they're doing that is so different from the surrounding Greco-Roman culture, but is so life-giving? So uh, one of the things that I shared with the TICI group is that there are two types of theologies that are shaping people in the church. One is called what's called explicit theology. That's the doctrine of the church. That's, that's the statement of faith that the church has put up on its website. And it's also the preaching that church pastor does. That's explicit theology. Implicit theology is what church members and leaders do when they come together as a church on hmm. Sunday mornings, Friday nights, or Wednesday evenings, whenever they come together, what they do in their action. That's implicit theology. So how worship is done, how fellowship is done, you know, how the church makes its decision, how the church uh, uh, delegates its financial resources, you know, that all that stuff is implicit theology. And I mentioned that when the explicit and implicit theology move toward the same direction and complement each other, that's when optimal spiritual formation happens for hmm. all the members and leaders. But sometimes that's not the case. The declaration of truth, the preaching, the doctrine may be solidly biblical, but it's on the implicit theology category. There is a widening of a gap. Hmm. And when that happens, I think you could tell which of the two could shape the people more. And it's an implicit theology. Hmm. And in fact, we're finding that is especially true for the younger generations. And, you know, when I talk to a lot of the second gen young people who left their immigrant church that they grew up in, it's rarely because they have something against the explicit theology. You know, saying, you know, my church is a heretical. It's not biblical. Very rarely I would hear young people complaining about that. It's almost all in the category of implicit theology. Well, one of the giant or key aspect of implicit theology is this congregational culture. And that's why I was challenging immigrant church pastors. I, I am assuming that your preaching and the doctrine of your church is very biblically based. Now, what you need to pay attention to is whether or not your implicit theology supports and reinforces and complements your explicit theology. Mm. Now, the thing is, and I teach in a seminary, I'm a seminary faculty. If you look at though, all the seminary curriculum of MDiv program you went through, almost all of them are in the explicit theology category, including preaching classes. Right. 
And in some ways, this is a huge blind spot of our seminary curriculum because we assume that our graduates would know how to do this implicit theology well when they go into church. So the congregational culture, just put it simply, it means the congregation culture is made up of a certain set of practiced values. So not the values that the church put on their website. These are our core values. But the values that are actually practiced in the church. Hmm. So how do we know if the values are really practiced? It's where it's we know certain values practiced if there are certain artifacts in the church. And now this is uh, anthropology language. Artifacts are things that you can see, uh, things you uh, uh, can somehow experience, uh, you know, like uh, cultural artifacts, like uh, when you go to another foreign country, the, the language, the food, the, the way people dress, those are the artifacts. Well, every church has an artifact, too. Like the name of the church is an artifact. Yeah. So some of you know. Uh, there is a, a, a church not far from my campus. It used to be called CCUC North, Chinese Christian Union Church North. Mm-hmm. They changed its name to Trinity Grace Church. That's a significant artifact change. right? Hmm. And the artifact is also how your church building, your sanctuary is arranged, the symbols that are very prominent, right? What kind of food is served in the fellowship time? Mm-hmm. Those are all artifacts. And I'm uh, just encouraging pastors and leaders to know, okay, you, everyone, every church has artifacts. Now trying to connect the dots and try to figure out what are the values these artifacts are supporting. Hmm. Because often it's at that level, first and second gen have very different yeah. ideas and very different vision. Uh, and very different importance assigned to certain values and and so forth. And that needs to be carefully thought through. Hmm. Yeah, no, I I love hearing about this. I feel like I'm getting a free education right now, just (laughs) listening to you. You know, a question that I have, two questions actually. One is when it comes to congregational culture, are there any specific processes or um, ways that churches can kind of dig into that well? Because I think even as I'm listening, you're saying that it's important to identify the cultures and the artifacts and the implicit and explicit theology. Are, are there specific types of questions or, um, you know, any uh, systems that are good for helping churches wrestle with these things and identify them, you know, well? Because I feel like, you know, it's probably... I just imagine that it might be easier to identify these things for other churches, but when it's like the church that you're in, what feels like normal to you is actually a a very clear, distinct culture in your church. So that was my first question. Maybe I'll ask the second one later, but. Yeah, no, that's a very, very uh, good question. Actually, I do teach a semester long class called developing a healthy congregational culture. And, uh, and then I do teach an intensive team in class. It's a week long class where I take students through. And, uh, you know, this is so one thing is this, and you pointed this out, Jonathan, um, like, we all have a blind spots about uh, particularly the culture I'm in now, right? 
And, uh, and partly because of that, when you want to do a careful study of analyzing the culture of your congregation, you should not do alone. Hmm. But instead, you do this collaboratively with others in the church. So for instance, first gen should do, and then second gen should do. Men and women should be involved. And some members who've been at your church for a long time, you need their voice. Mm -hmm. But also you need the voice of those who just came. Yeah. And if you could um, manage, you should also uh, invite those who had been part of your church who now moved away because they would have a certain perspectives that you may not have. And then for those who've been part of your church and for whatever the reason decided to just not come anymore. So a lot of the second gen who have stopped coming to your church. Yeah. Their voice would be very helpful too. Okay. So there are certain questions that you can frame, but what's important is that this has to be kind of collaborative work. Mm -hmm. And so because we all have our own blind spots and prejudices. And trying to get other people's input in, understanding what... So there are basically two levels of questions I, I often use to ask students to think about. What are some of the significant artifacts that play a key role in our church? You know, some of them, as I said, could be a name of the church. Some of it could be a leadership structure. Uh, some of them could be... Uh, how the worship is done and who gets to lead the worship. And and all those things are artifacts. So after you gain the artifacts, then you're trying to figure out, okay, let's connect some dots. What are some values that are either explicitly or implicitly uh, being promoted and facilitated and practiced by these artifacts? Um, tomorrow morning, why I have to get up so early is to go to deep south side of Chicago. And there is a very large African-American church called Salem Baptist Church. And one of my former students just became a senior pastor of that church. And he's a bit concerned because it is uh, it was a church that was planted during 1980s. It's a very large church. But he feels like they could do a better job in reaching out to young adults in the community. And he feels like the culture of the congregation in some way is uh, not allowing the church to embrace the younger generations more successfully. Anyway, so tomorrow I'll be doing five-hour workshop with the church staff team going Mm -hmm. through this process. And I told him, this is not going to be just your pastoral staff team doing this. You need other uh, members to be part mm-hmm. of this. So he said he will gather about 40 people to do this project tomorrow. Yeah. No, that, that's so that's so interesting. I think even as I'm listening to you share some of these questions and things to wrestle with, I, I hear a lot of like things that I can apply, not just at like a full church level, even though our church, you know, we have multiple congregations, different languages, uh, and even some that are not ethnically um, Chinese or culturally right. Chinese. Um, and at the same time, I feel like a lot of the principles you're sharing, I could kind of narrow it down and apply it to like the specific ministry that I serve in, which at my church is next generation ministries, mm. um, primarily with our young adults. 
-hmm. And I feel like I'm in my head, I'm just turning the wheels, trying to think through, oh, okay, these are artifacts in our young adult ministry. These are, you know, implicit and explicit theologies that we, that we have and really wrestling with how do I get those to line up so that we can do ministry well and really reach people. And I think oftentimes, you know, churches, they'll, they'll have alignment in all those things, but they don't have the vocabulary to kind of um, describe it and talk about it. And they're, and it makes it harder to kind of pass it down to other people or to share it with other congregations or other ministries. So I, I just feel like this is so fascinating to me. I, I could, you know, I, I want to sit through and, and listen to all these things um, and just keep wrestling with them. My, my second question, which, you know, uh, it's okay if you don't have a, a full clear answer for this, but I was just curious uh, as you've listened and worked with all these different churches specific to the Chinese heritage church, were there any um, cultural, uh, you know, specific things that were um, trends or just common across uh, multiple Chinese churches, or was it very unique to each congregation specifically? I think definitely a number of Chinese congregations that are part of our TICI, they have uh, three language groups that just makes things quite complex. So as you know, Koreans only have two language groups that they have to negotiate. And then we have a Nigerian church that they all speak English. That's their main language. And yet they're facing some significant cultural clashes between first and second gen. So Chinese situation, I think it's, it just complexifies things a bit more because of the additional language that is at work. Uh, I think that the other one, um, number of uh, Chinese congregations have a much longer church history than Korean. So we have a cornerstone Chinese church, or it's called Cornerstone Church now. It used to be called Oak Park Chinese Church. Uh, I think the church is now like 114 years old. <laughs> and and yet they're experiencing some significant challenges, but the challenge that they are trying to sort out because of the long history is quite different from most Korean churches that are post-1965, you know, immigrant churches. So that's unique as well. And then finally, I don't know if this is a necessarily challenge or opportunity, but uh, But it seems to me um, the polity structure of many Chinese heritage churches have uh, sort of uh, the lay leaders, whether it be deacons and so forth, uh, they are the sort of guardian of the vision of the church. And then pastors at best seems to be they're part of the equals of that leadership team. So it's much harder to negotiate in terms of making decisions. I mean, it has both good and bad. Uh, it good thing is that when decisions is made, it's a consensus, but it just takes a while to get there. Whereas most Korean churches, <laughs> it could be Baptist church and Methodist church, but they are pretty much uh, modeled after Presbyterian church, the elder model, with the senior pastor being the very significant uh, person of authority. So in a TICI uh, journey, how it gets played out is if the senior pastor is on board, he could expedite the process and going forward. Now, um, if the TICI church pastor is not quite on board, 
and it's still sitting on a fence, then it could kind of slow down the whole process. Now, it seems to me in the Chinese churches, partly because the polity structure, the process of bringing everybody on the same page uh, takes a little more time. And I, as I said earlier, this is neither good or bad in many ways. I mean, it has a wonderful good benefits, but it could also cause some level of a frustration for some of TICI members in that church that we're not moving faster along. So I'm keeping my eyes on how the Korean polity structure uh, is moving at a certain pace and then how Chinese and then Nigerian churches have their own culturally shaped polity structure. So there might be some distinction in a polity structure and a, what might be both uh, uh, benefits as well as cost in each structure system. I think those are really great observations. And I I, I could see uh, some of those very challenges and opportunities in our own, in my own church. Uh, one of the questions I had was, you know, uh, you know, some of our, some of the listeners who might be thinking about, you know, their, their congregational culture, uh, they might look at it and say, man, my, my congregational culture is not super healthy. Mm. You know, the explicit theology might be strong and good, mm -hmm. but some of the implicit theology, some of the things that we, uh, the artifacts that we're practicing are not super healthy for our church. What are some, maybe what are some ways that those churches or our churches can begin to turn the culture around? How do we, how do we begin to do that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. That's a million dollar question. <laughs> I think at TICI gathering, I shared this one quotation that I heard. At, it was actually a youth pastors conference at uh, Moody Bible Institute uh, that was held many, many years ago. It was offered by a Sun Life uh, Institute. And there was one speaker who said something like this, that I, it stayed with me. You cannot make your students to grow. That's Holy Spirit's job. But you can create a space in which they can grow. That's your job. Yeah. Um, I I think for those of us who are called to serve the Lord as a pastors or in some Christian leadership level, lay leaders and so forth, I really do think that we have to uh, take seriously this part of the responsibility of our as a ministry leader is to shape and reshape a culture. Or to put it differently, you know, there's a lot of spiritual formation books out there that are wonderful. But if you look at them, they're almost all about individual spiritual formation. Hmm. You know, the individual spiritual practice that we do so that we become more transformed in the image of Christ. I would say shaping and reshaping our culture that it might align more with the scriptural values is the corporate expression of a spiritual formation. And if you look at it that way, then, you know, of course, as a pastors, we have to give some of our thoughts to what, what is the, what is the culture of our congregation? Like, is it really reflecting that, that, that image that the scripture talks about the blameless bride of Christ? Is that what we're becoming? Or are we so still captivated to our ethnic cultural values. You know, and I'm not saying that's bad, but if we are more loyal to that 
then to gospel values, then we got some serious challenges that we need to mm-hmm. work through, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, earlier we were talking about identifying certain cultural values of your church and so forth. Well, one of the things that we have to biblically evaluate is, well, what are some of these values that are redemptive and healthy? And thank God for that, hmm. because every church would have both sides, I would assume. Yeah. And then, as you mentioned, there are some values that that are that are just um, unhealthy, and in some cases, idolatrous. How do we phase those things out? Mm. And then, what are new values that we don't currently practice that we should adopt? Because that would help us to grow to be a healthier body of Christ. Now, if you're a senior pastor, you have a lot more leverage to work on these kind of things. And, you know, invite others to work with you for sure, because you could never build a culture by yourself. You need others to do that. But let's say if you're a youth pastor, well, you don't have ability to reshape the culture of an entire congregation. But as Jonathan mentioned earlier, in your own sphere of a ministry influence, mm-hmm. you could you could build that. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the reasons we decide to start these mosaic ministries for multiracial students on our campus is that I could never, as a mere faculty member, try to change the culture of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School so that it could become more inviting space for Black, Brown, and then our Asian American students to be in. But I could create a small space on our campus where they can come and experience the kingdom values, right? That one I can do. So that's what I've been working on. And by the way, as a Jalen, as a parent, you could build healthy biblical culture in your home. Mm, right. So that when your children become teenagers and they're not as uh attuned to your explicit theology, they'll be shaped by the implicit theology you have built. Mm. Yeah. No, that that's that's so true. And I think especially true as I've been watching some of his uh, children run through the background as we've been recording. Um, so, you know, Dr. Cha, thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us. Uh, and we really appreciate your your time and sharing from your experience, your um, your research and, and the work that you're doing right now at, at the school. Um, we, we love to wrap up our podcast just with one last question, um, but what would, what would be one piece of advice or encouragement that you would have for someone that's currently serving in the Chinese Heritage Church? Thank you. Um, my exhortation to uh, all Christian ministers, and not just those who are serving in immigrant churches or Chinese immigrant church, is um, you know that, that what we call cultural mandate. You know, in a Genesis, uh, when God has called Adam and Eve to go and flourish, and many theologians understand, well, that's not just flourishing in terms of multiplication and number, but really be God's agent in building a culture that would flourish. And then, of course, uh, with a kingdom declaration of Christ, uh, Christ began to not only preach this new kingdom into being, but begin to model certain values that he taught in Beatitudes, for instance. Hmm. In the same way, I think our Christian ministers, particularly in uh, immigrant churches, need to have that lens to understand 
and then reshape the culture of their congregation. So I, I would say one important definition or calling of a Christian pastor and minister or leader is to be a culture builder. Hmm. And that's what I would encourage everyone to think about and grow into. Yeah, that's so great. Thank you, Dr. Cha. This has been such a rich time. And uh, like John said, I, I feel like we got a free education. We got a <laughs> We come away with three credits for uh, oh, yeah. for our masters here. So thank you so much for joining us. We've really appreciated it. You're very welcome, brothers. Uh, thank you for continually hosting this uh, space for conversation. And I'm sure many really appreciate the ministry you're doing beyond your church boundaries. That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.